When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. What an eventful morning it's been already. And Australia are through to the World Cup. Just think, in 24 hours' time, we might be experienced the same kind of highs uh, as we look at uh, the All Whites taking on Costa Rica. Uh, before that, though, we have a very busy show. We've got uh, the boss, Ian Foster, head coach for the All Blacks, of course, on the naming of his side yesterday. Uh, some questions to be asked there and answered. David Mulligan, just after 10 o'clock. Uh, of course, former All White, part of the 2010 World Cup squad. Uh, just fantastic. What's it like? What's he expecting from tomorrow? He's living in Australia. What about their reaction to today? So plenty to talk to David Mulligan about a panel with Ollie Ritchie and Mark Hinton. That'll be uh, interesting as well with Bruce Young, uh, who's probably the most respected uh, journalist perhaps in the Southern Hemisphere when it comes to golf. Uh, what about the LIV? What about the PGA? What about the war that is unfolding there? Really busy Tuesday. Time to get on with it. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, we've paid it lip service, if that now, uh, really, uh, but we should apologise. Well, I do for what it's worth. We tend at time to get carried away in a wee bit with All Blacks namings and Warriors shamings, but tomorrow morning at this time, a young group of footballers playing for us, taking part in the sporting matchup of their lives. The All Whites take on Costa Rica and Qatar, of all places. Winner goes back there for the World Cup. The other starts the four-year cycle all over again. It is the biggest event of all in world team sport. It always has been. The FIFA World Cup is the biggest team prize. It will have the biggest audience numbers. Even Greg Norman and his backers can't buy. For every little kid that's dreamed of scoring a goal or saving a penalty in the World Cup final, this is it. Maybe it's because we don't know our players. We never see them at home. They are spread so far and wide playing in leagues we seldom acknowledge. We don't quite feel that they're our team. The All Whites have survived a pathetic attempt at a name change to once again take the underdog tag to glory. Under Danny Hayes' considered and controlled guidance, sometimes behind closed doors, always far from home, they've built to this point. Hey, let's be honest, they're never going to be world champions. They're not going to win the World Cup. This is in effect tomorrow, their World Cup final. God knows what's going through their young minds 24 hours out. Nerves, yes. Excitement, yes. Trepidation, yes. Truth is, we wouldn't know most of the starting lineup if we fell over in the streets. We scarcely know their names, but we should, and we've got 24 hours to find out. This is bigger than we know because we only see the extent once every four years. Even even then, it's hard to compre- comprehend and to contemplate. 
It's time to get it, people. Grab it, set your alarms, and as the Buddha would have said, go, you good things. Go. Well, throughout the Super Rugby competition, speculation and excitement was high from both fans and media alike to who would be wearing the all-black jersey in 2022. And the Infos side was named yesterday with a side of 36, including six new caps. And while there's still a matter of the Super Rugby final between the Blues and the Crusaders to be decided this weekend, uh, the time is now to start preparing for next month's Test Series against Ireland. And joining us on the show this morning, I'm very pleased to welcome uh, the All Black head coach, Ian Foster. Good morning, Ian. Thank you. My pleasure, Smitty. Good to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you, mate. Here's the thing. Um, when After the last year, and it's been like six or seven months, hasn't it, since uh, the end of year two or so, quite a long time, uh, when you looked at... Uh, picking this particular squad to play against Ireland. How clean was your piece of paper? I mean, how, how clean had you wiped it and to start again? Oh, look, it's... Um, well, I think you're always going to find selectors are going to say they start with a blank piece and, and put it together. But, you know, we've... You know, when we finished last year, it's a, we had a big squad. We had 40 players and, um, you know, we'd been through quite a bit of time away so we, we got to know people really really well and it's um we had some really clear focuses coming on you know losing those last two sort of you know gave us a really good platform to say well heck okay there's a couple of areas that we've got to get, get really really strong in and so that's where we put our, our lens on so i would have thought that you know most most people would have probably picked two thirds of that group you know reasonably comfortably and and it's probably the other third of the group that we've spent the most time on and we've pretty flagged we've flagged a few of those positions specifically I guess Is the squad picked uh, in the knowledge that all these players in the reckoning will be uh, available for the World Cup next year or is it very much just a, a short term focus in your eyes? Oh it's I guess if I could say it's like a win now win later type strategy you know like it's all, all the players are at this stage contracted through to next year except for one, which is um, Carl Tuanukuafi. Uh, you know, our contracting team at New Zealand has done a, a fantastic job and, you know, we've got a, a large base of our players already locked in either for 23 or 2024. So I think the New Zealand rugby's in, in really good stance in that position. So we've got plenty of choices and... You know, I think the only one who, like I said, is leaving at the end of the rugby championship in October is Carl. And, you know, we've included Carl here because we, we've we got a couple of younger or newer international loose heads and we really felt his experience around them going into the, this July series is going to be really important. So how long he, he stays with us after that, we'll, we'll wait and see. But it's certainly um, it's a chance to support the likes of Aidan and George... What were the most difficult areas in the end for you to finalise? I think nine was probably the the toughest in many ways, and 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 in some other ways, I guess the compilation of the loose forwards. There's so many different styles of loose forwards that we had around, and and a little bit the same at nine. You know, we had five guys particularly that we were really 
happy with that we felt that we could have put their name down on the page, but we could only put three, and so that took a, a while. And and like I said, the loose forwards are just looking at the mix and and how we wanted to go in, and and also being able to use this chance as a little bit of a a time to, to test the likes of a Peter Gus Sawakula who we'd felt had been performing really well for a couple of years and you know we're we're really excited about seeing what he can bring to the international stage so they are the two main areas I think. You had uh, a number of captains for various reasons uh, throughout 2021 was uh, retaining Sam Kane as your captain a really easy decision for you? Yeah it was for me it um it, it, it was from the sense that we, we named him in 2020. We thought he was outstanding there. 21, he had, you know, missed 90% of the year with injuries, with that significant shoulder injury, which can happen to anyone. And it's just one of those things. And, you know, with quarantining and babies and all sorts of stuff, we ended up having a very unique year from a captaincy perspective. And the positive of that is we've actually grown some really good experiences through that. We've got some people that are have really grown their leadership, but I think it's time now for Sam to come back in. And, uh, you know, he, I think he's got the, the confidence of the group. He's he's a tough, established international player and, you know, can't wait to see him lead the team in, in July. You named Geordie Barrett at the back and the back three uh, grouping <laughs> as such. Is your mind still open on him as a 12? Well, do you want to try and convince me again, or yeah, it's um, <laughs> no. I'm just, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, speculating here because he's played a lot of rugby there, and he's made comment about that position himself. Yep, he has, and it's um, you know, I like the fact that people want to express themselves, and he, and you know, we've got no issues with what happened with the Hurricanes because that was what their their team needed from their perspective, and that's what they did. It's um, it's. One of those, I guess, awkward things when, when you know, the national team and, and the franchise probably see a player in a slightly different position. But from our side of it, you know, the message to Geordie is we've got no issues with the playing 12, but if you're going to do it regularly, then you better be really, really good at it because it's, um, it's you know, there's a lot of competition in the midfield. There's, you know, there's competition in the backfield now and... You know, you look at the likes of what, how Will Jordan playing, I think he's been outstanding. Mm. So, uh, you know, how we how we sort that, that group out now is going to be interesting. And But all I'd say, Smithy, is that we, you know, I, I know the here and now people have seen him play 12, and I think he's he's done well in that space. Um, I, I'm not sure he's done well enough to, to go into a starting position for us as a 12 at this stage. And... But I do have a utter, utter confidence in him in, in the backfield, particularly the way he played last year for us. I thought he's one of our best players. Okay, and uh, just staying with the 12 jersey, then uh, can I ask you um, what uh, when you've been looking at the limited opportunities that uh, Roger Tuivasa Sheik has had in that particular jersey? What have you seen that uh, that excites you to the point of picking him so early and has uh, come back to rugby? Look, he, he started the campaign well, I thought. He, he then had had an injury, um, he came back, and, and and I thought the improvement and, and growth in him in the last month has been has been really strong. So we're we're confident that he's picking the game up and and has really 
picking it up at quite a fast rate, you know, in terms of his ball carry, his defensive reads, um, getting more instinctive around the breakdown about his roles. There's still some areas that I think that he's, you know, he's got a bit of growth to do from a, a midfield perspective in terms of the, I guess, what we would call our triple threat game about when to pass and, and when to kick and our little skill sets that he's got to keep growing. But I just love the fact he's getting better and better and better. And I think that if you look at the athlete, we know how diligent and how hard-working he is off the park and to, to learn and to grow. We, we, we've trusted that, I guess, and decided mm. the best way to find out is to bring him in. Okay, cool. Um, as you said, the nines was a hard thing to finalise. I, I would imagine they were two of the hardest phone calls you had to make mm. with uh, particularly Brad Webber, TJ Perinara. But the excitement of Falau Fakatavara, I guess, was just too hard to resist. Yeah, look, I think so. And I think it's um, the fact is all five of them bring something slightly different. And, and Falau's sort of, you know, he, again, I thought he started a little bit slow this year, but he came back strong. And he he's, he brings something a little bit different and unique around the edges of the ruck and with that part of his game. And. You know, it's and so we've kind of felt well. It's now's the time to try and to and to give, I guess, Falau and Finlay an opportunity to to put their game on the mark. I like, I love the tempo that Finlay plays with, um, and, and to give them an opportunity. And and so whilst it's really tough on TJ and Brad, and yes, they were tough phone calls. Um, you know, that you might find that those two guys are named. In a, Māori All Black team, and they'll have a couple of chances to play against Ireland as well. So, um, and I know that, that those two guys, the door, you know, the door's certainly not shut, and both very competitive men, and I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll keep making a statement. Well, as you would imagine, when you, you name your side, you get a lot of reaction from the public as part and parcel of the job, and we we do too here at the radio station. We get a lot of uh, texts coming in. People saying, what about this? What about that? They feel sorry for this guy. But the three names that have probably been most um, uh, commonly used over the last 24 hours have been Tom Robinson, Cullen Grace and Ethan De Groot. Um, all three have, have, not partic- have not made this particular squad. So um, were they close contenders? Are you seriously considering these lads? <clears throat> well, they're all... They're all uh well, certainly in those three cases, the answer is definitely yes. You know, they've uh, they've all played well. I think if you, um, you know, I think I've kind of explained the, where we've gone with the loose head prop. We, we feel that Carl's our strongest loose head scrummager at the moment, and and I think he'll he'll work well with our other two newer loose heads. And 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 you know we've 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 been fans of Ethan. We picked him last year, and. Um, and you know we'll we'll give him a plan in place to to help him you know put his best foot forward to get back in. But you know we we do need to see you know growth in our younger players as well as our older players. And so he's got some areas that he'll go on and work on. And you know and and in, in many cases you look at the the Cullens and the Toms. The, Always said that the strength, the test of an All Black team, really is strength is the quality of the people that miss out, and and those guys are very much in the conversation. And you know, Tom's probably making a really big fist of it at lock at the moment, and doing a great job and showing an amazing attitude and work rate. And and but you know, lock's a pretty competitive position at the moment, and 
and then and and the same with loose forwards. So look, good men, and hopefully you know they just go away and keep working hard on their game, and and maybe one day the opportunity will come. But that's a that's the hard part of selecting the All Blacks is you can't pick everyone. No, I guess you can't, and you're always uh, going to upset someone along the line. Um, Fozzie, when when you look at this group uh, and you look uh, 16 months out, uh, the older brigade, you know, your Sam Whitelocks, your Dane Coles, these sorts of guys with slightly older, tireder legs because of what they've achieved and what they've done so far, are you confident that that, that kind of bracket of players <coughs> will be there for you at that time, injury aside? Well, I'm confident that... Uh, that that right now that they've got an attitude and a, and, a, and a growth mindset that they're really keen to be there. And, you know, I think, um, you know, a large part of the squad is is, is picked for, for the now and also for the future. I get that. But the the, the challenge for us as coaches and, and selectors is to make sure that we're, we're open-minded to that over the next 12 months as well. And it's like everything, Smithy, is that we've, you know, one thing it's one thing to get named in the squad, but then you've got to go away and perform. And and so getting there is the is one one step on the ladder. But in order to make sure people at the World Cup, we need to make sure that we're producing on the parks here and now. So those sort of those sort of conversations we'll we'll keep monitoring. Number ten is a, a position, of course, uh, Fozzie, that's dear to your heart. You played it for so long yourself, but and you know the. You know, uh, the, the job of a playmaker, you must be very impressed with what you've seen then from Stephen Perifeta so far, particularly this year with the Blues. Oh, very. You know, I've been delighted for him. You know, I think he's he's always um, had a really good skill set to him. Um, but he's brought a, a real sort of composure and really proved his goal kicking, his, his ability to, to also play at fullback and I think it's actually helped his his tactical awareness. I think his tactical kicking's improved because of that. His defence has been solid, uh, so he's actually improved right across the board a range of things. So, and you know when Bodie was out for a while, was, when he went into ten, I thought, well, you know, and, and ran the the blue ship with a bit of pressure on him. He actually just didn't miss a beat. So, you know, he he wants to be a ten, but he's enjoying fifteen, and it's a it's a it's a good story actually. You know, he's 25 years old. He's and he's now starting to reap the rewards of the hard work he's done the last three or four years. Just finally, mate, uh, when do, what's the program from here? Obviously, we've got the the little matter, or quite big matter actually, of a super final where you, I guess you'll be on the edge of your seat, just hoping no one gets injured. But apart from <laughs> that, what's the program? What what's the program then? Look, the program is we've got. Um, all the non-finalists who are named, we, we go to the Mount Mongatui tomorrow. We've got three days there. Uh, it's going to be a smaller group and a chance for us to do a whole lot of background work done and start on some, some skill trainings. Uh, we then, and then we join in Auckland next week with the finalists. They join us on Tuesday and, and uh, off up to Pai here for three days up Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Northland for for a camp up there, and then of course we're into it. So, but the thing I love is that we've we've, we've become a bit of an away team the last two years, whether you may have noticed. But it's mm. just yeah. to have a big series, a big series in New Zealand in front of our home fans is is something that that's really exciting for us, and we kind of we've missed it. We've missed the 
the feeling of big stadiums in New Zealand and and, and our fans getting behind a big series. So, I mean, this is going to be a very exciting July. Is, is Joe around yet? Joe Smith, is he part of the group yet or is he uh, just a little way away? Uh, Joe's, Joe joins us officially when, uh, when, when Foxy finishes at the end of the Irish series. So he goes a replacement for Foxy as a selector. So he's finishing as a part-time role with the Blues after this weekend. He'll keep in touch during the Irish series, but then starts officially straight after that. Cool. Okay. Uh, Fozzie, I know you've got plenty on. So, hey, thanks very much for your time and, and explaining some of those uh, situations, those curly ones. Uh, all the best with uh, the <laughs> camp this week, and we'll catch up with you Catch up with you shortly, eh? All good. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Ian Foster, their head coach for the All Blacks, uh, of course, naming his uh, squad to play against the Ireland yesterday. Uh, 36 uh, players involved there, and uh, you've all seen it, and you've uh, all got an opportunity now to react to uh, that interview. Um, 0800 1508811. We should be taking your calls after 9.30 this morning. You get a chemist warehouse voucher for $50 if you are a judge to be the best caller. Uh, what did you make of uh, some of the answers there? Um, you know, did it... Did it uh, <clears throat> did it uh, solve any um, issues from your point of view? Um, I think we got explanations about the captaincy, the loose forward brigade, most of them anyway. So uh, if I missed anything, um, I apologise for that. But what is your reaction to um, to that squad and uh, to his, uh, his comments about it? There's that, of course. Also, uh, let's not forget um, that the All Whites in 24 hours' time, uh, we will know whether they're at the World Cup or not. So, uh, football fans, you're a good opportunity just after 9.30 to ring up and give us your gut feeling on that game and what, what it means to you. Uh, and the other thing, of course, is a, a little matter of a cricket test in the balance all of a sudden at Trent Bridge. It is in a really delicate phase with all three options uh, of a result still available. And a couple of days ago when they were racking up the runs, we wouldn't have thought that was the case. Plenty after 9.30. We'll take a break. I need a drink of water. New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Valera, has it saved? Australia are heading to the World Cup Finals. Andrew Redmayne is their hero. his third appearance with the national team brought off the bench at the end of extra time to deal with the shootout and he has worked his magic he has broken Peruvian hearts and for the fifth consecutive edition Australia will take their place at football's top table the FIFA World Cup God, it makes me shiver to think we could be saying the same thing about the All-Whites this time tomorrow. It is just staggering, and it's so big. The Football World Cup, we've, we've paid it no attention really here because of, uh, you know, we've had the Warriors to deal with and all their dramas, and uh, of course uh, we've had the, the, the Super Rugby and the All-Blacks, and, and it's, you know, they always take a back seat, don't they, the All-Whites, until this moment, until this particular moment, once every four years, when they either go to the World Cup or they don't. And by this time tomorrow, we will know that. We're the Danny Hayes lads, most of whom we wouldn't know if we fell over them in a pub or uh, in the street. We certainly wouldn't. We just don't know their faces. We haven't had a chance to get to know them because they never play at home. Um, so anyway, it's such a big deal for them. 
So that could be part of your call coming up on 0800 150811. I know a lot of people will want to talk about um, Ian Foster and the reaction to his team, etc. the interview, but goodness me, uh, that football has got my, it really has got me going a wee bit uh, on what I saw this morning. And to take a guy off the bench in the goalkeeping jersey, put him on 40 seconds before the end of time uh, so he can just be there to save penalties, and he did it. What a masterstroke from Graham Arnold, the coach, the head coach of Australia. What a masterstroke. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Andrew Redmayne, write that name down. Australians will be all ready. 9.31, here's Haroa. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. It is 9.34 here on SENZ. That was your cue to call to be in line to win a Chemist Warehouse voucher for $50, 0800 150 A multitude of things to talk about this morning. Um, but you're pretty, you have to get out of bed very, very early if you're going to beat Dean. If you're going to beat Dean to the lines, you've got to have to be on your guard. And no one got him this morning, so he's first up. Here's Dean from Dunedin. Morning, sir. Yes, no, now I... I think to let you know that Foxy was still there. I was really, I wasn't happy to hear that, to be brutally honest, because I knew the word um was going to come up here a bit, and obviously when it got to the front row, it was um. um, um. We were in uh, the Northern Hemisphere last year, and um, we got smoked up front, but um, we'll keep the same front row, because um, I'm too scared to ring those fellas up, and say there might be some other guys a bit better than you, but, um, and one of you's going overseas anyway, but we'll still pick you, because... Um, Got some young fellas that are keen to have a go, but um, they're not quite ready, and we don't want to give them a go against Ireland because, man, I'm concerned, mate. I, I don't get it. Like he, I hope, I hope the Warriors are really ringing up TJ because, I mean, I think his time is done. Like, and I don't, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I love the kid. I love his passion. I love everything about him. He just, for me, he is rugby. TJ PNR is rugby, but he's also. That's just a little part of that, dude. Like, he's a human being, fabulous New Zealander, and the Warriors need him. My God, do they need someone like him with his passion, drive, and he wouldn't feel for that guy or whoever's running that show saying, this is what we're going to do. TJ go, no, mate, no, no, absolutely not. And that's what they lack big time. But that, that's, I couldn't believe it yesterday when I heard that team. Like, the game's one up front. We all know that. Everybody that has anything to do with rugby no, she's one up front. And the pretty boys out the back, they decide by how much. But that front row got screwed in the Northern Hemisphere. France smashed us. Smithy, when um, Ryan took Fiji for two weeks, they dealt to us. If they didn't have the back line to tip us up, thank God. But the cattle's here. I mean, it's, I'm sick of it. Like, they need to put a broom through the whole lot and start again like, We've got the depth. The final one, Christchurch, I mean, Auckland's going to be really, really good. And you're going to see all sorts of matchups. But they don't mean anything. Like, the Highlanders' young front row went up there. The only thing I can sort of get my head around it, maybe they want to make the Maori side as strong as possible, but then two Poirier should have been playing 12 for them, so that doesn't stack up either. But the group and Anglia have got to be the the front row for them. And that gives them two more runs and 
then we're going to name a proper World Cup team to get ready to play South Africa over there because we're going to get... Mate, I can see it being four losses and five wins, maybe four losses and a draw. Their front, the front row is just not good enough. It's simple as that. Well, I, 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 well, I asked them questions and, and you know, he answered, to his credit, he answered the questions I asked them. So if, you, if you, there was something uh, that you didn't get out of it, um, then <coughs> it's my fault, uh, Dean, I would imagine. I, and I, I, I take your point. I, I, take, I take your point on, on the, the young front rows. And yes, you're dead right. Your front row, the Highlanders front row, did get up there and deal to those very players that he's talking about. So uh, there are some, um, some definite issues um, there to sort through. And uh, Ireland, Ireland in about uh, less than a month's time will reveal all in terms of that regard. Dino, always appreciate your call. Uh, Dino, you're in the draw, of course. Zane, good morning to you. How you going, my friend? Yeah, good. Hey, um, not the Warriors today, yeah. for once. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is about Mr Foster, mate. I mean, I, um, I really did enjoy the Hanson ring, but he's just a guy that doesn't really inspire me. He just feels like he's a bit of a plotter. He's just going through the paces. Yeah, it's kind of logical arguments, you know, to, to justify selections, but he just doesn't come across as innovative and inspiring. And I don't know, it just concerns me. It, it makes me feel like the environment's a little bit stale. Okay. Uh, so uh, you, you're talking about, um, uh, are we talking off the field here then rather than on the field? Well, I think it's the whole thing. I mean, I... I won't mention any names, but I know a couple of guys have played for him, and one of my close mates was part of the um, World Cup squad. And I asked him before he was chosen whether they thought he was the man to go forward, and they just kind of smiled and didn't react and sort of shook their head and said he definitely wasn't the brains behind the organisation. And I feel like you just need um, someone who brings in something a little bit different because you, you feel like the way... Foxy was talking this morning, they're kind of chasing the rest of the world now instead of um, being the ones to innovate and lead, so I don't know. Who would you have put in um, if you had an opportunity, Zane? I mean, I know you're watching predominantly a lot more rugby league now these days, but it's, is it more just the foster thing you've got as opposed to the individuals? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you regarding the players. It's just listening to the way those guys you know, talk about it their teams, the selections, and just watching last year, I mean, what really put me off, I think, is the inconsistency in selection, particularly in the midfield over the past sort of 18 months or so. You've just not seen the continuity, and there's so much drop ball, the ball's not getting out wide, so it just feels like we need something that's a little bit more stable in selection and a little bit of innovation to make sure that we're not getting you know, um, overwhelmed by these rushing defences, particularly you know, by the South Africans. And, um, mm. yeah, I don't know. Hopefully hopefully, a big guy like Jack Gukiu in the midfield will, will maybe give him a bit more stability this year, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard to get excited just yet. Hope I'm okay, wrong. Okay, Zane, thanks for it. Yeah, I hope you're wrong too, um, and, and I, I really do hope you're wrong. And I I, I just I want to see them uh, fire up and, and be explosive and, and innovative, and, and certainly to do that they're going to, have to provide the platform up front, mate. Thanks very much uh, for your call this morning and your text already. I've got that. I was going to read it out. Don't have to now. Uh, Mikey from Christchurch. G'day, Mikey. Uh, good morning, Ian. Hey, um, regarding the team, I've been highly critical of uh, Foster. I agree with the last two um, callers on pretty much everything they've had to say. 
I've been very highly critical. I I doubt we're going to do well this year, but he's he's named the team, so it's up to him now, isn't it? He we we'll, we yeah, shall wait. I hope I've again like the last call. I hope I'm wrong, um, but he's named it. It's on him now, and now it's got to happen. So so uh, yeah, we'll just see, won't we? Ireland who, who would team, who, they are a really good team. They are. A- they're a good team, Mikey. There's no doubt about that. They will be a certain, uh, a, certainly a test over those three particular matches. Hey, hey um, uh, uh, who are you feeling was stiff then? Who, who would you have liked to see in there from your point Cullen of view? Grace. Cullen, Cullen Grace. Yeah. Definitely. But I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> I guess the thing is, we have got a lot of good players, but I think Cullen Grace has proved himself, hasn't he? The last wee while, I think he's the guy, uh, or one of the guys, certainly, to be in there. I, I feel he's a bit hard done by. I kind of think the half-backs feel for a bit for Brad Weber. Uh, that's a difficult one. But, uh, no, I think Cullen Grace was the one who missed out quite a bit there. Um, and also, regarding this weekend, did you... You know the rugby program they have on Sky on a, on a Sunday night, Monday night, whatever it is? Mm. Um, all four yes. of those panellists chose Auckland. <laughs> So all I can say is go my Crusaders this weekend, and I hope we stuff them. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know exactly where you're coming from. Uh, I don't even have to know who the uh, the panelists are because I think there's a general feeling just to say as long as it's not the Crusaders, if it's not my team, as long as it's not the Crusaders, I, I kind of get that feel around the country. Mikey, thank you very much uh, for your call. I get you just don't worry about that. James from uh, Christchurch as well. James, good morning to you. Hey mate, you're right. Yeah, I'm going good. I'm going good. I'm I'm a bit sad, Smitty, and I'm a bit worried. Um, I'm a bit sad of what's happened to my, well, not my club, our club, the Warriors. Um, I remember being a 12 year old boy sitting on that couch watching Dean Bell lead them out that first game against the Broncos, um, and we nearly we nearly took them up it wasn't for little Alfie Langer. And to see what state we're in at the moment, it makes me a bit sad, to be honest. What about you? Mm. Oh, look, I, I, I'm depressed, absolutely depressed. Um, you know, I don't know any of the Warriors players. I, I really don't. I've met Stacey no. Jones, I think, once, and terrific little bloke, and I admired everything he'd done. I know Cameron George pretty well. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I feel... I'm like you. Yeah, I, I feel sad for the for the situation, James. I, I'm I'm not. I just I, I get critical every now and then when I, I see the way they've sort of handled things, and you see some of the things that are written in, in aspects of the media. I feel um, a little bit angry, but feel sad too. Uh, quite sad about the whole deal because yeah. New Zealand and rugby league needs a really good franchise. It's as simple as that. We need at least one. I'd love to have two. Yeah, I think. If we want rugby league to grow around the world, which I hope that you know the key stakeholders want, and they've said they do, then a good, a strong Warriors is a very integral part of that. I mean, we're not going to grow the game in this country if we're getting thrashed. I mean, I can see maybe two games. I'm hopeful of winning for the rest of the year. Yeah. And I mean, the Bulldogs tip up the Eels. I mean, are we going to beat the Bulldogs now? I don't know. Probably not. I'll tell you what, that that result last night um, will be lost because of the fact that uh, everything's happening so much in the other areas of sport at the moment. I mean, that, we, we tipped them at minus 15.5, the Eels, so give them 16-point start. 
my God, that's one of the biggest pastings against the odds I've ever seen. James, thank you very much for your call. You're in the draw to win a Chemist Warehouse voucher, of course, for the value of $50, as will be Dax, who we're going to hear from after this little break. Polaris, New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.50 here on SENZ and Dax has been very patient. And Dax, I think you want to talk about something that's very dear to my heart tomorrow morning in particular. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Just quickly on the rugby, I think um, one of the things is the disconnect that's growing between the, the All Blacks. Um, coaching staff management and the um, and the public, and it's only getting bigger, so there's a, an enormous amount of pressure on that um, that coaching staff at the moment. Look, um, I agree with you on the football. If, apart from Winston Reid and um, Chris Wood walking down the street, you wouldn't recognise any of those players, and they don't play at home, but the, a larger problem, Ian, I think, is they just don't play at all. You know, there are international um, gaps in for friendlies and things like that, and they, they don't even get matches in um, those windows. The best thing Australia did was to join the, um, the football conference, their, their federation, because they have the Asia Cup, and so Australia play so many games, but not only are they friendlies, they play in those um, meaningful competition games. So I don't know whether they can disband Oceania or whether they to um, just have it as a subgroup and maybe a couple of teams qualify for the Asian Confederation Cup. But just playing every four years against, you know, the island nations and then going to the World Cup, it's just not going to improve... um, the standard of New Zealand football that'll get them into the World Cup because they're expanding it out to 48. But I don't, I don't think that's the way forward for them because there is a lot of young players in this team and they have got some, um, they have got some hope for the future. But if they don't play meaningful games, you know, they they just they're not going to improve. Chances tomorrow, Dex. Um, I don't know what the odds are, mate. You're the, you guys are the. The, the gambling people, so it'd be interesting to see what the odds, but um, they'll be different around the world. But Costa Rica will be will be heavy favourites. Um, but it's a one-off game, which is probably going to be better than uh, home and away. And Peru would have been favourites against Australia today as well. So you know, there are there are, it's like a boxing match. There are fighters counts, aren't they? They are. They absolutely are, Dex. So uh, I, I I really do look forward to tomorrow. Um, I, I hope we have something to, to really celebrate at this time. Uh, thanks. I, I really appreciate you holding on during that, that ad break and do appreciate the fact that, uh, that you made the time uh, to call us this morning. Uh, so you're in the draw too, Dex. Uh, enjoy the fact that you talked about uh, football on the eve of such a big occasion. And uh, Joey, we'll get to you tomorrow. Thank you very much for your patience, Joey from Auckland. Just run out of time because we've got to do a multi before 10 o'clock. Side by side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. 
Right, yesterday we talked about the Eels. We had the minus 15.5 and they got flogged, absolutely flogged by the Bulldogs last night. Real big turn up that one. So uh, at $1.90 we got nothing out of that. Today there's some uh, value to be made, I feel. I think the Golden State Warriors will beat the Celtics. They're back home. I think the Golden State Warriors, uh, big game, Steph, uh, Steph Curry, uh, Steph Curry getting... Confident in his own shooting again. Clay Thompson growing by the day. I think they'll probably win at a dollar fifty-five. England to win the cricket. I've taken England to win the cricket at three bucks. You might look at me and say you unpatriotic sod, but the truth of the matter is this: um, they were able to chase down in the fourth uh, innings pretty successfully last time round, um, and we won't have Kyle Jamieson by the look of it either. So if they only have to get two fifty or two sixty on two and a half sessions. I reckon they're in a big chance. Sebastian Corder to beat Kristen Gallen at $1.29. Multi, $5.99. $5.99. So, we have got football to talk about very shortly. We've got uh, former All-White David Mulligan. Uh, David uh, lives uh, in Brisbane at the moment, calling us from Australia. He'll be able to react to what we've just seen this morning and look forward to maybe some glory for ourselves this time tomorrow morning. Here's Ottawa. The great pronunciation that she has with the news. It's New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Freeman Elliott. Curls it in. Oh, and a touch in! New Zealand remarkably break the deadlock. Shane Smeltz takes the congratulations of the players. Well, a great flighty delivery from Elliot. It was Reed's flick. It was Cannavaro who couldn't really get any clean contact. Look who was there to just poke it in. Another remarkable story unfolding here. Well, talk about great moments in sport. Shane Smeltz uh, going ahead uh, at 1-0 against Italy way back in 2010 in South Africa. But uh, that was on the back of what we had to achieve in a one-off situation against Bahrain in front of our own rapturous crowd in Wellington. And Rory Fallon's header uh, was enough to get us through and off to the World Cup. Now in 2022, of course, Danny Hayside are looking to replicate that winning feeling tomorrow morning when they take on Costa Rica in the Intercontinental Playoff. Big difference is there'll be no home crowd, a neutral air-conditioned ground in Doha. Kickoff is set for 6 a.m. New Zealand time. It'll be 4 a.m. Australian time where we find our next guest, uh, former All-White David Mulligan, a member of that 2010 World Cup squad. David, thank you very much for your time this morning and uh, welcome back to the New Zealand Airwaves. Yes, morning. How was things over there? Yeah, we're going pretty good. Uh, just before we get stuck into what we have to achieve tomorrow, how about the drama this morning in uh, Australia? I know, I know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 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 always nerve uh, nerve wracking when it goes down to penalties, and um, especially when you bring a keeper on, you know. And I think uh, Chelsea did that a couple of a couple of weeks ago against Liverpool, when um, it you know didn't go with their way, and luckily it uh, went Aussie's Aussie's way, but. Um, Hey, listen, it's fantastic for Australia. Hopefully, New Zealand can do the same and, um, you know, both be in the World Cup. Let's take us back then to that time, that one-off game against Bahrain, the biggest game of football that any one person is very lucky to play, probably. Uh, there are a few similarities there. Uh, is it fair to say we, we go in as uh, slight underdogs tomorrow? What was the level of, of belief uh, against Bahrain? Oh, it, yeah, listen, it's, it's very similar that the two teams... Um, we went in with belief that you know it's our home ground. 
especially drawing over there in Bahrain, we thought, you know, we'll bring them back to, to Wellington um, and our crowd, uh, the way that obviously the, the wind is as well. Um, we we had every sort of confidence that we were going to, to win that game. Um, everyone was sort of relaxed um, and knowing that this, you know, this 90 minutes could change everyone's life and, um, and, and also, you know, the dreams of going to the World Cup. And um, I'm sure the boys will... Um, will be excited, nervous um, for, for tomorrow. Put us inside the head of a young footballer achieving that kind of thing. I mean, we, we grow up, David, as you well know here, indoctrinated into the All Blacks. We know they're going to be at every World Cup. We know they're a, a genuine chance to win it. Take us inside the head of a young footballer about to realise his dream. Boy, that's, that's you know, when I was... Yeah, yes. Those ten years ago, yeah, it was. Oh, you know, imagine going to the World Cup. You see it on TV, you know, for years growing up, and you think, oh, imagine if we could actually be there. And um, luckily enough, obviously, the, the rules had changed as well for Australia to play in Asia, um, and so that gave us more of a more of a chance. And um, you know, every four years, it, obviously, it becomes down to who potentially are we going to play against. And um, we got the luck of the draw playing against Bahrain. But yeah, that feeling of going to the World Cup, um, realizing you know that's your dream come true, it's um, yeah, it's it's unbelievable feeling. And uh, I only hope that the boys, um, you know, that haven't been there will be able to have that feeling tomorrow. David, from what you've seen, and we haven't been able to see a lot of the All Whites, particularly at home. They just haven't been able to play at home. So I imagine you haven't seen a heck yeah. of a lot of them either, apart from the odd game on television. Do, we, do you think we've got the squad? Do you think we have the X factor to win this one-off game? Yeah, I, I think we have the squad. Um, I think if we look at the squad as a whole, it's a very young squad. Um, I think in the in the next World Cup, it, we will probably see the best All Whites team we've ever seen. But with this team, I think it's it's a young, energetic team. Um, and I think with the players that we have, um, the, the experience, you know, Winston Reid, Boxy, um, and, and Wood um, in there, I think yeah, we've got every chance of of, uh, of winning. And you got also all the young, energetic uh, players around them. Talk about the side we have to overcome. Obviously, there's an unknown factor about Costa Rica from our point of view, but there are one or two players we know a hell of a lot about. For instance, uh, we're going to have to squeeze the goal past Kayla Navas, who has won three Champions League titles with Spanish giants Real Madrid. World class. Yeah, yeah listen, they've got some you know fantastic players. Um, I, I think most of them are playing professional football, as are um, all, all our players as well. And if you look, I think if you look at sort of the last three, four games, um, they've played, they've, they've changed formation as well. So they're a bit unpredictable, but um, they know where the, the, the goal is. They've scored, um, I think, last three games, they've, they've scored, I think, four goals. I, I think I think they lost against Panama. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely they're going to be a, 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 a threat. I think one um, key area would be um, set pieces um, f- for and against. Um, I think we, every chance of us uh, nicking a goal from set piece, but also we have to be a bit wary as well of their aerial uh, threat. Okay. Um, style of play, general style of play, though. Do we sit and wait for those set pieces? Do we sit and we sit on them and counterattack? Do they sit on us and counterattack? Yeah, I, th- I think it's sort of. You've got to play to the conditions. Um, depends how hot is, it, is is going to be over there. We can control the pace of the game, um, and then when it's time to ex- explode or counter, then we do that. 
but um there's there's no point going out there and just going going all hell for leather um and because you know the the heat's going to drain you they're just going to pass around you as well so you know there's going to be times um you know when there's when uh, a right time to set back and when is a good time to press and i think um you know, Danny has had that over the, over the last uh, couple of months with his team when to attack, and especially down our left-hand side with Libby. Um, I think that's where you're going to see a lot of sort of um, attack down our left-hand side. Just say we get there. Uh, just just say we, we get the nod, and, and um, look, it'll be something special. We'll all be feeling it this time uh, tomorrow morning. Can you remember... Um, the days afterwards, when you were realised that you were, you know, possibly on the road, on that road to that yeah. dream, uh, can you remember the feeling yeah. within the group, the, cele- the celebrations, etc.? Oh, geez, I tell you, the celebrations went all night in the morning to the next day. It was, uh, uh, it was a crazy feeling, knowing, um, oh my God, we're just we're we're going to the World Cup. Um, you know, not just to show up. You know, uh, we're also going to walk to the World Cup to compete as well. But yeah, that night is you know it's a fantastic. It was a fantastic night, as was the 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 next couple of days um, after that as well. But um, we're, all of us we're all mates now. Um, we're all we all still keep in touch, and that's what football does. It brings you you know all, it brings us all, all together. And and I know this team is a very young team, and um, they've not also got this campaign. They've got the next one as well. Can you believe that we left that World Cup the only undefeated side? It's yeah, it's it's a mad feeling, you know. Um, f- from that World Cup, everyone sort of uh, the football world know uh, who New Zealand are now. It's not just like you say a, a rugby or a cricket nation or a netball nation. It's uh, also a football nation as well. And um, yeah, to come away from that, um, you know, no one's really really ever done it. Um, and I, I just feel that Italian game that you just had on that at the start there. I think uh, we should have won that game as well, but um, with a, a dodgy pen. It, it's a, it is quite um, it's quite we, we we because we only David we only really get this feeling once every four years you know um, yeah. we experience a, a lot with with the All Blacks and, and you know we kind of get used to it and take it for granted but um, the significance of this I, I I don't think you perhaps ever should take for granted. No, definitely not. No, you know, especially it only comes around every every four years, but it's it is you know. Football is one of, the, if not the biggest sport in the world, um, and I think next year when the Women's World Cup comes uh, to Aussie and New Zealand, I think a lot of fans will see that as well. And also um, with, with Australia and uh, New Zealand in September, I think it is as well. So it's, you know, the more games we can get, bring back to New Zealand, the, you know, the fan we get the fans in, engaged, um, and obviously the Phoenix are doing uh, fantastic as well. So the raising that bar. Um, of football in, in New Zealand Yeah as you said you, you possibly believe that next time around will be the strongest all whites uh, side we ever have looking to, to uh, embark on that camp campaign and the reason why David of course is the exposure that these players get as individuals around the world which mirrors what you did I mean you had 8 years yeah. with uh, Barnsley Doncaster Rovers uh, whilst uh, you were learning your trade etc what do you, I mean, I guess sometimes you're a long way from home, but what what about the benefits of those overseas competitions for a New Zealand footballer? Yeah, it's, you know, you're playing against all different um, types of, of players, different types of um, styles um, of the teams as well. And, you know, you build up a, a sort of your own um, character about yourself and, and you're on the same journey as all of uh, sort of the other players as well. So you've all got something in, in common and, um, 
just little things of you know if you make a bad pass um you just forget about it and get on with it and it's because that's how you sort of brought up within in those environments um so it's just you know learning from uh, from that on on a game day or uh and then taking it on with the international team as well do you watch um, much of uh, of the a league the phoenix etc do you, you keep an eye on that yeah, I, I sort of, I, I sort of do, uh, and I don't in a way. You know, me and Phoenix, yeah, we didn't really go together uh, down there, but um, you know, whenever that they're playing, um, I, you know, I, I try and watch them. But um, yeah, sort of, yeah, football, um, yeah, with the Phoenix, not so many uh, games I, I have watched. Uh. Okay, so do you still have an involvement w- with the game that you love? Um, every now and again, you know, I, I, I watch, you know, watch Liverpool all, all, all the time, really, and uh, and New Zealand when I can. Um, but yeah, I've you know been involved in in sport and football for so long. You sort of take a back step, and um, yeah, it's 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 just yeah, it's, yeah, it is what it is. I guess you know when you've been in, in the, in, involved in, in football so long, you sort of um, it becomes uh, a hobby, not a um, not a passion, I guess. So, in Australian terms, uh, I mean, how, how? I mean, football's bigger over there. They have their own league, etc., and, and a lot more yeah. higher profile. But just how how big, how big uh, a hurdle with for that to overcome Peru this morning like that? Oh, massive, massive! You know, um, I was watching this morning um, where the manager was talking about um, they played twenty games away, I think, and only um for at home so for that magnitude you know to play all those games away it's it's crazy and obviously not to have your home fans um but yeah for what they've done um i think the manager um, graham arnold was calling for a um aussie day today so for everyone to be off but um, i'm not sure if that will happen <laughs> i think it probably will in some areas mate. now i've got to <laughs> ask you this i've never done i've never done this i've never uh, taken a, a penalty in a big occasion or in a penalty shootout as such. What goes through your mind? What I mean, we saw the antics of Andrew Redmayne this morning. I mean, the most unlikely-looking yeah. antics I've ever seen from a goalkeeper prior to every yeah. penalty did the same thing. So what are you, what are you going through? Uh, does that, what he's doing, affect you as such? Um, in a way, but you sort of try and switch off. But, you know, all the pressure is on the kicker. There's no pressure whatsoever on the keeper. You know, he just, just dances around and just jumps wherever. And, uh, and and obviously the keeper's caught it. But yeah, as a player, you know, everything's probably going through your head. You know, what do I go right? Do I stick to my normal position where it might be lit, you know, high left? Um, do I, you know, side foot it? Do I blast it? So all these things are going in. And then um, just, you know, you're thinking about the pressure as well. If I, if I miss this, then we don't go to the World Cup. Um, <laughs> so there's so much, you know, so many, you know, the top players, they make it look easy. You know, and you look at, um, you know, Sella and, and Harry Kane, you know, they just they take penalties, with, make it look so easy. But um, the amount of pressure yeah. on, on on them is, uh, yeah, is immense. Well, I, I just can't imagine now, uh, the, we've seen the reaction in Australia, but what about the reaction in Peru? Talk about um, how players feel and, and um, what they're thinking now, the Peruvian players. I mean, put, the, put uh, yourself in their head. I, yeah, I would not like to be in the um, the guy who who, who missed the, the pen. Yeah, he'd be thinking he's let his team down, his family down, the whole whole nation down, and they're obviously um, you know that football mad country. Um, this is what they, you know that they live for, and um, when that's taken away, and um, yes, yeah, who are they going to blame? But I would not like to be um, 
the guy who who missed the pen. Staggeringly exciting times uh, for New Zealand football, mate. Thank you so much for uh, for giving us the opportunity to talk to you this morning and uh, just get a little insight just uh, from a player's point of view how much it means. Uh, go well over there uh, in Australia. Yes. Stay safe and enjoy cheers, tomorrow morning, please. Thank you, David Mulligan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Former All-White, of course, uh, part of that uh, 2010 group that went to the World Cup. And that, that is a distinct possibility for this new group this time tomorrow morning. Wow. 10.18 here on SENZ. Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, this morning, as it's my pleasure to welcome to the panel Ollie Ritchie and Mark Hinton, both very experienced panellists, journalists, um, TV stars all in their own right, and... As I'll be honest with you fellas, this morning I've got no idea where to start, but with Mark Hinton I will start with you with uh, the All Black naming yesterday, interviewed Ian Foster, the boys had Grant Fox on a little bit earlier as well. Uh, what's your reaction to the squad? Um, well, I'm not, I don't think there was any any real shocks. Smithy, six new caps, so there's a little bit of freshness. Uh, I love the selection of Lester Fanga Nuku from the uh, Crusaders. Um, a guy that perhaps doesn't necessarily fit kind of an all-black type profile, but they they clearly see, you know, the upside in a, in a guy that's a, has adaptability and has X factor and has power. So I love I love his selection. Um, but in the sense of six years, all of this person, you know, really anybody that was really good has got in. It's been a few notable. I mean, they made some hard calls at halfback. Richie, uh, I wonder whether the team is for the long term or the short term. I, I think there's a real importance here when you look at the inclusion of Carl Tuanukuafe, who of course will not be at the World Cup, can't possibly be at the World Cup. Uh, the importance now for this particular six selection and coaching group to actually beat Ireland. Yeah, that's right, uh, Smithy. I, I think there's an element of both. I think part of this group has been selected for the long term, guys that Hinty just mis- mentioned, yeah, Lester Fanga, Nukus, Falau Fakatavas, you know, those guys, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, obviously, 
um, you know, certainly with an eye to the future, bringing them into this squad, um, maybe giving them a taste of, rag- of all-black rugby uh, over this series, but certainly with an eye to that World Cup. And then, yeah, you look at this Ireland series, the set piece is very, a very strong part of the Irish game. And um, Carl Tuindakuafa, I think Ian Foster said yesterday, he, he's one of our, our best scrummages in the country. Um, I was surprised to see him included over a guy like Ethan De Groot. Um, you know, he got a taste of all-black rugby last year and, and I thought this year would be a, a chance to just continue working with him and developing him with that eye to, to France 2023. But obviously, you know, there's a job to do right now uh, and that's against Ireland. So certainly selections like that have been made with an eye toward the Irish and, and the threat that they'll pose. Let's look at uh, this weekend then, Super Rugby final, Blues Crusaders. Uh, Ollie, I think it was everyone's final, um, even as far back as probably two months. It's come to, to fruition. How do you see it going? Oh, I see nothing in it at all, Smithy, to be perfectly honest. And, and you're right, it, it is a great final um, and, and a perfect one for, for, for the marketers at, at Super Rugby. I, I think it, it almost sold out within five hours yesterday such as the interest uh, in that there's a, a limited release going going out today but they're expecting a record crowd at Eden Park um, you know probably a few can tabs making the trip north uh, which would be great to see uh, I, I see you know three to five points in this to be to be perfectly honest and I, I think right now and until I know whether uh, Sam Whitelock is available and, and Pablo Matera has cleared any um, any judicial hearings I think it's just too close to call. You know, if Sam Whitelock is available, I, I think I tip the scales to the Crusaders just slightly. Um, but man, the way that that Blues team is playing at the moment, especially um, if they're allowed to run uh, with with ball in open space, they are just so so deadly. And and that's what cost the Brumbies in kind of the first sixty minutes of that that semi final. They continued to kick the ball back to the Blues, let them run, and they're just so so deadly on the counter attack. So. Yeah, I see nothing in it. It's going to be such a fascinating watch. Mark Hinton? Well, Smithy, you know, I completely agree with Ollie. I think he's, you know, he's right to say that, you know, there, there is literally nothing in it. I asked Sam Kane yesterday at the All Blacks announcement who he was picking, and he said it, it is so close, and it will come down to one or two tiny moments, he called them, and, and, and really who takes those tiny moments will decide it. Look, I think the weather could decide it. I think if it's a if it's a night like last Saturday in Auckland and it's it's wet on top, um, you know, slippery and everything, um, I think it suits the Crusaders down to the ground. We know how good they are in a grind. If it becomes an arm wrestle, I think the Crusaders win it. It will be close because the Blues are not inept at this. They've won 15 in a row and they have played in varying conditions and in varying um, game situations and have shown an incredible ability to get out of tight spots. So they're not without hope, but I think if you play the Crusaders in their ideal conditions, i.e. cold and wet and maybe a little bit windy, um, they'll be hard to beat. But if it's remotely dry, if it's remotely kind of user-friendly for ball, you have to back the Blues. And as Ollie says, there's a couple of sort of key um, selection areas for the Crusaders. Are they going to be, be able to get some anything resembling the top line up on the paddock there's some doubts about that so um in the loose force particularly in the second row they might be down a, 
a key man or two. So uh, maybe an edge to the Blues if, it, if it's firm with the likes of Bowden Barrett, Rico Ioane, um, Mark Talia, those type of guys able to stamp their mark. Bowden, I think Bowden Barrett's playing um, his best rugby certainly since 2016-17, which is heartening for the All Blacks. And Rico Ioane's not far behind him. Those two guys will be the difference makers on the, on the night. It will, be, it will be just about whether they get the ball to make the difference. Okay, Mark Hinton, uh, Ollie Ritchie with us this morning. Take uh, a very quick break for the news with Araha. When we come back, uh, let's talk some all-white, shall we? And maybe a little bit of test cricket. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. 10.33 and Ollie Ritchie and Mark Hinton are with us on the panel. Ollie Ritchie, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow uh, I've just seen an amazing game of football actually between Australia and Peru, how Australia ever got up to win that one. Uh, they're going to the World Cup, we might be too this time tomorrow. Wow, uh, we've sort of taken it for granted. It snuck up, snuck up on us a wee bit, but uh, this is huge, massive. Oh, absolutely, and I think... You know what a what a great opportunity for the All Whites to to go back to the World Cup, their first one since, since 2010, um, and and a, a huge chance you'd have to think. Um, you know, yes, Costa Rica are, are favoured to win this, and, and probably rightfully so. Um, but you know, a one-off match. You know, there's no home and away tie in this one. It's on a, at a neutral venue. Um, you know, it, it it is kind of poised for this to go either way. It, it feels yes. Um, like I say, Costa Rica are, are probably the better team, but if we can keep them scoreless for, for kind of the first hour or, or 70 minutes or so, pile a bit of pressure on them. If they don't have that scoreboard pressure that they probably expect and many probably expect them to have, then this could turn into anyone's game. And, you know, we're, we're, you see in football all the time, goals can kind of come from nowhere. Um, and so, you know, if the All-Whites can keep them scoreless and, and pile on a bit of pressure themselves... You know, we could very much see them going back to the World Cup in, in Qatar in a few months' time. Yeah, Mark Hinton, you cover a lot of uh, major sporting things. Uh, where does this where does this rate for you? The importance of this? Oh, it's massive, isn't it? Look, you don't get many chances if you're in New Zealand <laughs> in football to get to a World Cup at all, via a one-off fixture. They just have to perform in one game. They are ninety minutes maybe 120 minutes of, of today's game between Australia and Peru was any, any guide from going to a World Cup. And we know how special that is and we know how, they, how the All-Whites can rise to the occasion of a, you know, a, glo- of a truly global event like that. So it, it's special. It's massive. It's pivotal. Um, yeah, I would urge all New Zealanders to get up at 6am and watch the game because it's going to be special. But you cannot beat the drama of a of a game of football with so much at stake. I think, it, as Ollie touched on, it'll be about whether the Whites can can stay in the game. Uh, you know, I think the longer it goes without goals or, uh, or you know, even if they got an early goal and got front, I think the longer they can kind of, you know, I guess dictate terms, the greater chance they're going to have. That kind of sounds obvious, but football can be a kind of a grind fest, particularly in these high-state games we saw today. With the Aussies in Peru, you know, it went down to a penalty shootout. And, you know, just one, one penalty decided who went to the World Cup. That could happen again tomorrow. Look, the, New Zealand's a great chance. Maybe guys like Chris Wood, you know, uh, um, obviously play on the biggest stages. They're going to lean heavily on, on those type of people. We don't have a lot of them that are playing in the top leagues in the world. So they're going to be important. But listen, 90 minutes New Zealand, we can send the football team to the World Cup. This is special. This is sport at its very, very highest level. And 
I, I think get on board. Let's everyone, everyone be football fans tomorrow. Yep, absolutely. These guys that uh, you honestly would not recognise most of them uh, could t- turn tomorrow to be uh, national heroes uh, in just the kick of a ball. It's quite uh, staggering to think about that. Uh, our cricketers could become uh, heroes again tomorrow if they uh, happen to get up and win the second test at Trent Bridge, Ollie. Um, for a game that was going to be just better, better dominated, looked like on a paradise, all of a sudden we've got all three options available um, because of either good bowling or poor batting, um, <coughs> depending on how you weigh it up. The fact of the matter is um, we could win or lose this test tomorrow, and that's of interest as well. Yeah, very much so. And how good is uh, heading into a day five with, with all three results still available? I think the way the Black Caps kind of batted on uh, after dismissing England on day four, they sort of went out with that really attacking mindset, right, to, to set this game up to try and win. Um, you know, world championship points are on offer, so there's any incentive the Black Caps need to avoid playing for a draw. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they start day five because it's a delicate balance. They need to put enough runs on the board but also give themselves enough time to to take 10 wickets. So I think it's going to be an intriguing watch if they can, you know, maybe pummel it for the first 40 minutes, maybe an hour. You know, Dale Mitchell kind of go into T20 mode. Um, Mm. It's possible to to bowl a team out in in less than a day. We've seen that happen plenty of times before. So, yeah, it's set up really nicely. A, A great great time anytime it's uh, all three results available heading into the fifth day um, and like I say there, there's every incentive to avoid playing for a draw with those world championship points up the grab well, We know that Brendan McCullum will have installed uh, positive thoughts within the English group because we read about that from Jimmy Anderson after the last test match so I would imagine when England hit the ground tomorrow uh, Mark Hinton they will be believing they can win the series uh, in one day of cricket yeah, absolutely. Look, I think in the past, in this sort of situation, we would not have been surprised to see England bat out a draw. They're 1-0 up in the series. Um, you know, it depends on, on what the task is going to be. It could be around 300, you know, in less than a day. Difficult. Uh, and if you go for it, you do open yourselves up. You lose a few wickets. Suddenly the whole tenor of the game changes. I think previously we've seen England kind of, you know, be less daring, less adventurous in these situations. With Ben Stokes as captain and Brent McCullum as coach, I just don't see that, Smithy. I don't know about you, but I just don't see them um, going out with the draw as a mindset. Uh, the World Championship points as well, another incentive. But I think just in general, they'll see an opportunity to win a test if it's there, and, and they, they sh- will and they should go for it. So it's, it's an intriguing final day. I think New Zealand needs 40 or 50 quick runs. 40 maybe, might be enough, just under 300 for a target. Um, could be tricky in, in, in uh, two and a half sessions. So um, it's all about quick runs um, for New Zealand. If we don't get those additional runs, it could be a difficult final day for New Zealand. So intriguingly set up. There's <laughs> a, a bit to watch, isn't there, in the wee small hours? Well, there's a bit to watch, all right. And uh, not only that, of course, at the end of the week, we've got the US Golf Open. We've got Wimbledon knocking on the door as well. What a great time to be a sports journalist and, uh, of course, a sports watcher. So thank you very much to Ollie Ritchie and to Mark Hinton for their thoughts across the board this morning. Yep, big, 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 big 24 hours for New Zealand sport coming up. It's 10.40 here on SCNZ. One selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ.
This is the situation. New Zealand lead by 238 runs at Trent Bridge. They're 224 for seven. They have three second innings wickets in hand and they're 1-0 down in the series. And that, uh, the last thing I said, is probably one of the most appropriate things of the lot. They are 1-0 down. They have an opportunity to level this series and, if they do, to win the series. It all depends on this day tomorrow. Daryl Mitchell is there on 32 not out. What a series is Daryl Mitchell having? Matt Henry is with him on eight. We've got two wickets in the bank. They are Kyle Jamieson with a back problem, we understand, who would normally have batted higher than this, and Trent Bolt, who could make a quick 40, will get out first ball. It's as simple as that. So you really, um, like most number 11s around the world, you don't want to rely on Trent. That's how I feel about it. I think it's on a knife edge, actually, just building it up, a knife edge. But what about the guys that are commentating on our behalf, ball by ball, uh, for SENZ? Let's get the thoughts now of uh, Adam Collins and Daniel Norcross. Tomorrow, whatever they're defending, they're trying to take 10 wickets. Of course they are. They'll know that there's probably no way of restricting England across the better part of a day. They'll need to take the wickets in the absence of Jameson. We're not even sure he's going to bat. He didn't walk out at number eight, didn't walk out at number nine. So in all probability, uh, he won't be a factor in the final analysis. He certainly won't bowl. Saudi went for more than 150. Didn't take a wicket. Didn't take a wicket in the second innings at Lords either. Trent Bolt, by the way, took his tenth five-wicket bag today in Test cricket. He averages 21 against England in England, taking 41 wickets. So he's still of the highest quality. But maybe it is Bracewell. And I say that because yeah. there is something there. There is some volatility with the bounce. And this guy seems to be nerveless on his test to boom. I think he might have to bowl quite a few overs because Trent Bolt looks like the main threat. But I would say at the same time, this is England. You know, I, yeah. I'm not quite sure why England fans would be sanguine about even having to chase 238 at the moment. It is a nice pitch, it certainly is, but we've seen Trent Bolt bowl three terrific deliveries in England's first innings to get rid of Crawley. The one to get rid of P- Matt Potts, look, he's not the best batter in the world by any means, but a lot of other people are getting out to that big swooping sw- inswing for a ball that was not brand new or anything. So he's going to be a serious threat, but because they don't have Jameson, and because Saudi just doesn't seem to be firing, and how many overs can Henry bowl? You're going to see, I think, more of Bracewell. And if he gets into his work, and when we saw him in, in England's first innings, it was quite impressive. He had a nice over spin, he had a bit of bounce, he had a bit of turn. In stark contrast, I've got to say, to England's slow bowler. I'm, I'm not sure I'm calling him a spinner. He's turned maybe three past the outside edge. Poor old Jack Leach. Hey, all four results on the table ahead of the final day. Anything could happen. Make sure you follow our broadcast tomorrow from half an hour before the first ball and all the way through the evening in New Zealand and Australia. Signing off at Stumps on day four, Adam Collins, Daniel Norcross. Until then. Thank you, gentlemen. Yes, uh, Michael Bracewell is the name they mentioned there. And what a test match he's had. It's his first test. He scored 49 and 25 with the bat. Two really good contributions. Three for 62 as a part-time spinner. Uh, What does he make of the conditions? Yeah, I think the wicket's deteriorating nicely for us. Um, it seems to be getting a little bit more turn and bounce there. Um, Leachy showed that today. So, yeah, I'm excited to get out there and bowl on it. And I think the English team might come up with a few different plans to try and play me uh, for in this fourth inning. So it'll be an exciting day to, to really test my skills against some of the best players in the world. Yeah, we like to play positively as a side and um, ultimately try and win games of test cricket. So... The plan was to, to get out there and, and be super positive. So, yeah, um, managed to get a couple out of the middle there and unfortunately uh, couldn't push on to a, to a bigger score. 
Well, that's uh, Michael Bracewell uh, brought into the side, of course, uh, instead of uh, the likes of a specialist spinner like Ajaz Patel came in in that all-round role uh, for Colin de Gronholm has made a, a pretty damn good fist of it. So he will be an integral factor in there. Cole Jamieson will not be. Uh, sounds like uh, when the big fella has a big back problem, it's going to be uh, out for quite some time. So uh, we won't have his uh, ability to knock over the top. So it's going to be a Trent Bolt. Tim Southey showed... The thing about Tim Southey is he's a fighter. You know that. He's absolutely an out-and-out fighter. So um, we shall uh, just wait and see how that, that particular uh, unfolds. A number of texts have come in this morning on a number of issues and some positive ones. Uh, how about this one from Harry from Ashburton? We're incredibly greedy as New Zealand rugby fans when we are complaining about what players make the All Blacks. We will deal to Ireland this year. That's Harry. Uh, morning, Ian. I don't think people have had a great deal of confidence that the All Black forward pack will be able to deliver the general and set play power to give the very talented black line the platform. Some big questions marks over the type 5 selections. Uh, that is Brian. Um, well, uh, PJ said, uh, well, Foxy said that, said that Smithy and Foster confirmed it. They selected a side not to combat what Ireland bring. Uh, sorry, they selected a side to combat what Ireland bring, uh, not to win. Uh, a, a, a sort of a World Cup just as yet I think that's the point you're making PJ um, well I hope it works but there's a bit of me that do, uh, hopes it doesn't and the Foster era will be over Razor should be there if we are serious about winning the World Cup not going to happen PJ not going to happen uh, I think you'll probably find that Razor is uh, <coughs> he's over that as well so uh, yeah uh, interesting text there coming through uh, we'll take a short break when we come back Louis as usual and the TAB before 11 o'clock and we'll get those technical issues fixed for you people down in the Waira wrapper well bucket list for me would be to go to Ascot even deeper bucket list would be to have a horse racing at Ascot so Steve Hansen does that uh, this uh, tomorrow morning first thing Nature's Strip uh, with James McDonald on board Louis Herman what how exciting oh so exciting, Smithy, you're right. It's 100% bucket list and this really cool group of owners involved with Nature Strip and some, some great New Zealanders as well, um, Peter Keane and I say Sir Steve Hansen. It's very exciting and I think he's going to win. And I say that I don't, look, let's not pretend Smithy, I haven't done the form of this race. I haven't gone back and watched all of the replays of everything lining up in his race. There are some really nice chances, twilight calls from a good barrier, and his biggest rival is the American Golden Pal. They look, and on ratings, are the two fastest horses in the world. Golden Pal has drawn outside him, uh, the Uncle Mo Colt. He is ridden by Arad Ortiz Jr., who's a bit of a freak as well. But James McDonald, he gets barrier 10. He knows Nature Ship so well. I guess the thing with Nature Strip is Smithy, they've been through it all, you know. They've failed with him. They have worked out what he likes, what he doesn't like. They understand how to get him ready. And there's a big difference between Nature Strip being ready and Nature Strip not being ready. And Chris Waller is the master preparer. So, look, through his Nature Strip's uh, many starts now, they've worked out what works. And James McDonald will know that he needs to get him out, buy him some sectionals that can't be too frantic, then put the squeeze on him through the middle, and over that 1,000-metre trip, I expect Nature Strip to be too strong, kick away and do it for the Southern Hemisphere. Thank you very much, Louis Herman Watt, giving us confidence. Brendan Popperwell is there for the TAB. Uh, BP, uh, yeah, Nature Strip and some sport this afternoon. Well, he's a fair bit on, isn't he? And, um, well, 
boy, just oozing you know, confidence there around mm. Nature Strip, and uh, very much so. Uh, punters are keen to as well. Uh, we've seen a lot of traffic via the futures market for uh, Nature Strip and also already on our current market. Uh, just towards the NBA game finals, uh, game five of the finals, we've seen a lot of money for Boston recently. Uh, biggest bet, 5000 on Boston at the plus four at $1.90. And we've also seen some money on a same-game multi, uh, like in the overs of 94.5 for Boston and 97.5, 5000 on that option at just $1.40. But then we've seen some $2,000 bets on the Golden State Warriors at a dollar fifty-seven, and the cricket, we've seen some hefty bets on New Zealand to win the cricket. Four thousand at six forty, three thousand at six dollars and sixty cents. That was placed in the middle of the night. Must have been you, Smithy, while you're watching. And the draw, three and a half thousand <laughs> at a dollar eighty-six. BP, BP, you know me, you know me, and you know cricket. That can't be true. None of those numbers. But goodness me, good luck to those punters. I can say that. We shall be doing golf, uh, doing golf with Bruce Young, uh, the most highly respected uh, golf journalist in the Southern Hemisphere, I do believe, with his thoughts on what is going on in this crazy world. It is 11 o'clock. It's time for Ottawa with the news. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And a little tap in to Charles Schwartzel, the 2011 Masters champion, is our inaugural Live Golf winner. Here at Centurion, four million dollars for Charles Schwartzel, who has been magnificent here in Hertfordshire. Yeah, well, I guess they're being paid to pump it up. That's uh, the commentary team as part of the LIV Golf Invitational, where you heard that's the inaugural event. And yes, it was a former major winner, Charles Schwartzel uh, from South Africa, who picked up the gold. And it certainly is gold-like in terms of uh, the prize money. Uh, With us now is probably the most uh, highly respected uh, journalist in terms of golf and commentator, um, worldwide that that we get to talk to on a regular basis. Uh, Bruce Young, he's uh, joining us from Noosa on the Sunshine Coast. Lucky man uh, in that in itself, Bruce. But now that it's uh, done and dusted, Swartzel Banks, that big fat check, how do you feel about the whole deal? Well, I don't know. From my point of view, Smithy, the, the jury's still out to some extent. Um, Look, I, I think uh, you've got to, you can only congratulate them for bringing that whole thing together in such a short space of time. And I tend to agree with the comment you made earlier on when you talked about the uh, the cheerleading aspect of the commentary. It was a bit over the top at times, I thought. And overall, I thought the commentary was a little bit ordinary. I thought the on-course work was rather disappointing. Um, I thought she was never there when many times when she was crossed to. So that's an aspect they're going to have to tidy up. Um, the reason that I say the jury's still out, I guess much will depend on how much more acceptance it gets from the leading players. Many of the great stories that came out of the week were from like the Australian golfer Travis Smythe, who picked mm. up close to 500,000 US, 140,000 or so for his, for finishing back in, in midfield in the tournament itself. But for being part of that team, he's picked up another 375,000 US. And for a guy that's been struggling in his five years on the professional golf tours of of the world, more especially the Asian tour, what an amazing boost for him. But um, I don't know where it's all going, Smithy. When we spoke a, a few weeks ago, 
uh, the PGA Tour were actually making their decision on their players as to what was going to happen. They indicated at that stage there'd be penalties of some sort. As soon as the first tee, tee shot was struck last Thursday, spend the players no decision on how long that's going to be for. And I would say, like we indicated last time, the the, the law, legal profession is going to have a field day with all of this, and there's a lot more to play up before we find out which exactly which way this is going to go. Well, a first uh, sight uh, of what we're going to see, uh, Bruce, is as uh, close as this week, of course, because um, the best players in the world are assembling at uh, Brookline for the US Open. Uh, who's going to be there? Who's allowed to be there? Uh, what is it going to look like? Well, there are all the players that uh, were eligible to play at the US Open and, and, and played in London are entitled to play at the US Open because you've got to bear in mind that the US Open is not... It's sanctioned by the PGA Tour, but it's run by the United States Golf Association and they made a statement last week that all those players, that, uh, such as Dustin Johnson and uh, Sergio Garcia and uh, Phil Mickelson, I don't know whether he's actually in the field for the US Open or not, it's a funnily event, it's an event that he hasn't won and it's probably been the biggest frustration in his life for Phil Mickelson. But those players are allowed to play the US Open because of the fact, as I said, the PGA Tour, it's part of the PGA Tour schedule, but, but they don't control the event. So the, the USGA came out with a very specific statement last week uh, indicating that um, at this stage they're going to allow the, the players that played in London to play at the US Open. What about the attitude of player against player here? I mean... You know, I, I I watch a lot of golf. I watch the PGA. I saw the joy that McElroy had, Rory McElroy had in winning. I saw the, the camaraderie with the two golfers he was playing with, Fino, uh, of course, and Justin Thomas in the last round. It's almost mm. as if they were trying to, to exhibit the joy of still being part of the PGA setup um, in some sort of weird... Maybe I was just reading something into it, as opposed to when McElroy spoke afterwards about who he'd just gone past. There's going to be uh, almost a sense of rivalry amongst some, surely. I thought it was a strange comment for McElroy to make, actually, Smithy. I, I, you know, he came out and said, well, I won 21 uh, PGA Tour events now. The other bloke, he didn't, re- didn't refer to it by name, but he said the other bloke's only won 20. And I, I just thought that was a bit petty, especially in, in the euphoria of victory. I think he would have been a lot better off McElroy to have been a little bit more humble about things. There's no doubt about it. The Canadian Open last week was amazingly well supported, as Canadians op- Opens tend to be. Uh, with a few of their own players in the mix going into the final round. There was a tremendous atmosphere there. Uh, and when you compare it with what was happening in London, they got a good level of support, I thought. But I guess uh, much of that was probably from intrigue, I would think, from golf fans keen to see how that first uh, live into invitational series would play out. But there's no doubt when you look at the contrast between the hype of the Canadian Open versus um, the hype... well. There was a lot of interest and a lot of intrigue in the Live Invitational, but um, McElroy certainly made a point of um, uh, letting Norman aware and the golfing world aware that he, he's very much on the side of the PGA Tour, and and there are obviously still a few others that are, or many, most others are, but um, we've already seen it, and at the next event that they're going to play at it, which will be in Portland and Oregon in two or three weeks' time, uh, Pat Perez and uh, Bryson DeChambeau and... Um, Patrick Reed have made the decision that they're going to play that event. Uh, so um, there's, there'll be slowly but surely a few more defectors, I think, when they see that they only have to play eight events a year and the sort of money that they play for, as we know, Schwartz are winning 
not only the four million for the uh, for the winning purse, but also another seven hundred and fifty thousand for him being part of a four man team. Uh, maybe more and more players might get to think there's a great opportunity for them to play a limited schedule, spend more times with their families, and um, uh, yeah, yeah, probably just seen probably they were probably letting the dust settle to see where it all went after the first event, and maybe some more players will uh, head towards that tour, but. I don't know. There are really two arguments, aren't there? Firstly, there's the morality of playing, uh, uh, benefiting from Saudi money. But if we use that as a, as the reason, then I don't think golf tournaments will be held in many countries, for that matter, because there are human rights issues in every country. And the other argument is the potential destruction or the demise, to some extent, of the PGA Tour. So. Players will take sides uh, just depending on their morality or on their concern for the PGA Tour. But, um, you know, there, there's no doubt uh, that there's a hell of a lot more to play out here. And whilst we all thought that this may be a pie in the sky, I think it's here to stay for some reason. For It would seem to me anyway. Yeah, well, money is greatest saying in, in life, really. Money talks, Bruce, and... Uh, certainly it's talking in that regard. Two individuals two individuals here, uh, Bruce, which are of interest. I'd love your comment about now. Uh, Commissioner of the PGA, Jay Monaghan. How have you felt, felt his stance? Very outspoken during the week. And to see likes of Jim Nance, Nick Faldo, of course, working for the institution. I, I, I have an in, uh, inverted yeah. commas here. They're working, working for the institution, being so passionate. Uh, and Jim Nance, very highly regarded. Well, he is highly regarded, but again, I take your point. I think they're um, they're working for the institution. They're protecting their own position to a large extent. Brandel Chambly, uh, uh, quite a controversial analyst, he came out almost uh, to the point of tears for, uh, in the last couple of days once the decision or once the event got underway and the decision was made by the PGA Tour to suspend players. Uh, he was very vocal, but I think you've got to take... To some extent, despite the fact that I've got a lot of admiration for Jim Nance, I think you've got to take, to some extent, um, their position and, and take that into account when they're trying to support uh, the mouth that's fed them over so many years. The other uh, aspect of this, and uh, the more uh, you read in, into uh, this individual, the more you find out about his background, etc., not that he hasn't been uh, shy of being in the media, is uh, your man Greg Norman, of course, um, all sorts of uh, stories coming out there and, and people are looking for opportunities to take him down. Uh, I think there was uh, an interview with a highly respected journalist where Norman had ordered him away from the press conference and they got Norman standing in the background almost with a smile on his face as it went, un- <laughs> it went to unfold. I, I mean, it, it, they're playing games with pictures and things like here, there, but where you, I mean, you know Greg Norman. You've worked with Greg Norman. You've worked along, uh, you know, you, you know about him. You know his life. How do you think deep down he- really feeling about all this? Well, I'd say he'd be feeling pretty darn good about what he's been able to achieve in the last few months. Now, that's, I say that without being supporting or otherwise of, of his concept and what he's done. But I would say, because he's had a long-standing grie- grievance against the PGA Tour, because essentially, probably 30 years ago, they snubbed his desire to have a world tour. And I think he's been keen to find a way to get back at them ever since. And this is the great vehicle for him to do so. He's a larger-than-life figure, as you know, Greg Norman, and uh, he's controversial in his own way. He polarises people here in Australia to some extent. A lot of people love him for what he's done for the game here. He was the Pied Piper for the game, really, throughout the 70s, 80s and 90s. Brought a lot of people to the game. But he's also very controversial and 
and and quite outlandish with some of his statements. So um, yeah, there's a there's a polarising effect. But to answer your original question, Smithy, I would say he's probably um, cock a hoop with what's happened and the way they've been able to get this out of the ground over the last six months and get something up and running that a lot of people probably felt was never going to happen. Quite sad though when you see the likes of Norman and Nicholas going head to head, isn't it? Oh, very much. And, you know, Norman's legacy, I know he's only won two major championships, but he was the world number one for many, 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 many months, many, in fact, probably several years. Um, uh, and when you compare him with a guy like Nicholas, who's won 18 majors and really is a statesman of the game uh, in so many respects, uh, it is sad. And there's a lot of sadness and ill feeling about the whole thing, the the the, the competition between the two tours. Um where it's going to go from here I mean obviously as I said before there's a lot of young players played in that event that that really have set themselves up probably their golfing careers up for the next 10 years or so I mean as I said a guy like Travis mm. Smythe not only did he win the 500,000 this week but as a, re- as a result of finishing runner up the week before in a tournament in London that was an Asian tour event that was funded by Saudi money and essentially qualified him for that event. He's won more than a million Australian dollars in the last seven seven or eight days, Travis Smythe, a guy that you're probably not even aware of in terms of his name. But there'll be a number of players like that. But whether or not they event those sort of players, if more and more players from the PGA Tour defect, because each field only has 48 players, there's only so much room. Um, we're those sort of players that really I think are the great stories of the event the guys that will really have major boost to their career uh, where those mm. players go in the, in the future in terms of their place in the field remains to be seen but um, it's an intriguing situation isn't it and it's certainly created a huge amount of interest um, and conjecture and uh, maybe in a, in a very roundabout perverse way that's prob- it may well be good for golf that golf's getting so much coverage right now no, it is, and it is a sort of a perverse sort of a way. Actually, I just looked. Uh, I had in my notes to talk to you about Travis Smythe. I actually didn't even know whether it was Smythe or Smith. So I'll be perfectly honest with you, Bruce. <laughs> I was going to pick up on that. He actually was ten over. He was ten over after three rounds. Of course, uh, those kind of numbers you wouldn't even make the cup and cut in most events on the legitimate tour or PGA tour as such. But ten over, ten over, and that is the significance of this. As soon as you make the field, you can start making plans. Well, that's exactly right, because every player right down to the 48th, there was a guaranteed last purse of $120,000. Now, a guy called Jed Morgan won the Australian PGA Championship earlier this year, uh, and he won about, I think he won about $180,000 Australian dollars for winning that. A fairly esteemed event in Australia, obviously, one of the iconic, iconic events in Australian golf. But uh, for finishing, I don't know, offhand, about 30th or 40th in this week's event, he's picked up a check mm. for very cl- much, very close to that same figure. So, um, And he's a guy, he's an interesting situation. He's got a European Tour card next year because of the fact that he finished on top of the Australasian Tour money list. Um, but because he's not yet a member of the, 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 the DP World Tour, the European Tour, he wasn't going to be subject to any bans at the stage because he's not a member. You can't ban him from a tour that you're not a member of, so to speak, but, or suspend him from a tour that you're not a member of. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of young guys like that who have really done very well out of it. But um, I don't know. I sit on the fence a bit with it, Smithy. I'm, I'm reluctant to make too strong a, mm. a point on it. I think uh, the morality issue, I think there's a lot of debate on that can be had as to where else the tours play in the world, such as China and 
and a few other places, mm. Dubai, and even even uh, you know Saudi Arabia. The the la- uh, ladies tour and the European tour play events in Saudi Arabia. Lydia Ko won one of them last year. Ryan Fox finished very well up on one of them last year as well. Uh, another event in Saudi. So. Where does it become right or wrong as to um, the money you're playing for? Whether you know whether they're sanctioned by the European Tour or a ladies' tour event, uh, or is real is the real beef against Norman pushing this thing so hard and uh, trying to create real competition with the PGA Tour? Uh, look, Bruce, you and I could hop on a plane tomorrow and we could go to a lot of countries and talk about the subject. And a lot of the people living there would say, "Well, why the hell are they playing in America?" Yeah, exactly right. I, I agree, and, and America is another situation. Like, <laughs> there's, there's tr- plenty of arguments against human rights there, and uh, so I, I think, um, yeah, as we all know, the Saudi regime is a is a pretty nasty one, and Phil Mickelson had some pretty choice words to say about that mm-hmm. at one stage. But um, but yeah, I think um, it's a bit hypocritical and double standards to suggest that. Uh, we should only be playing. We shouldn't be playing in Saudi because of human rights, because um, there's plenty of examples of uh, human rights or the abuse of human rights in other countries where legitimate golf tours continue to play. We know Tiger won't be there this time round. There's a hope that he might be at the Open um, Championship itself. Uh, at St Andrews because it's such a significant one, 150th of course Bruce you'll probably be there yourself I would have, I would imagine but um, looking at, forward to this field this week knowing that um, who's in form, who's not who's likely to be a good player on a US Open type setup can you give us two or three names to look out for? Well it's interesting, I mean I, I, I was a big fan of Scotty Scheffler's before the Masters and he eventually won that and um, and I feel a bit the same this week too. I think Scheffler is—he's uh, played reasonably well since his win at the Masters. He's had a runner-up finish. He's had a couple of other reasonable finishes. So he's sort of probably getting still coming to terms with his Masters win, but he's continued to play well anyway. And I think Justin Thomas seems to be in some fabulous form at the moment. We know that he's won two PGA Championships, Justin Thomas, and oftentimes U.S. Open courses are set up a little bit like the PGA Championship. So. Um, you know, and the fact that we've got two New Zealanders in the field, Ryan Fox and Danny Lee, I think is fabulous. And nine, mm-hmm. nine Australasians altogether headed probably by, well, definitely headed by Cameron Smith in terms of his current ranking. But um, it, it's great that, you know, we've got uh, two New Zealanders in the field. But if you are looking for me, I'd, I'd be quite keen on having a bet on either Scotty Scheffler again and, uh, and Justin Thomas and see, see how it all plays out. Bruce Young, as always, great to catch up with you. Um, fantastic to get your insight and uh, loved your uh, opinions on, on the LIV and uh, we'll just uh, wait with bated breath for the new chapter to unfold there and uh, just to see what the relationships are like uh, on the tee because uh, some of these guys will be paired together at this US Open this week. It'll be quite fascinating to watch some of the body language. You, you knowing the players so well, would be very interested in that. Oh, I think so, and I think um, you know maybe they'll, they'll, some players once they get a chance to talk to them may be convinced that that might be a direction they want to go. Uh, just one mm. other point I will make is that the PGA Tour, um, the suspension that they're given to the players doesn't only apply to the PGA Tour; it applies to the Corn Ferry Tour, which is the uh, feeder tour to the PGA Tour, uh, and to the uh, PGA Tour champions. So Phil Mickelson is. His uh, suspension will apply to the PGA Tour champions, which he's now eligible for and has one on already. 
and the P and the PGA Tour itself. So, and that's another argument that those supporting the tour have come up with. You know, the PGA Tour not only provides a beginning tour, the tour for players in the prime, and the tour for players at the end of the careers, as far as the Champions Tour is concerned. They provide a lot for charity and they provide their members with huge, huge superannuation schemes that, you know, somebody that's played for probably five to ten years on the PGA Tour can retire on virtually. So there are those issues that the PGA Tour continues to promote in, the, in, in their own defence. So um, anyway, I, as I said earlier, uh, I'm sitting on the fence. I don't like sitting on the fence, but I still, I'm prepared to let the dust settle before I make a final judgment on it. Mate, if I'm ever going to sit on a fence, I'd like it to be somewhere in Noosa. So I'm jealous of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Smithy. Cheers. Dear cheers, uh, Bruce Young there, of course. Uh, very, very highly re- regarded all around the world with his uh, knowledge and his comments on golf. And lucky to have him uh, this morning on a number of uh, golfing issues. But it's up and running. The LIV is up and running. Just ask Charles Swartzel's bank manager. It's 11.22 here on SENZ. Thank you New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And thank you Polaris for being partners with our show, our side-by-side partners. Uh, We really do appreciate uh, your support um, and that enables us to put the show together and bring through a, a lot of text, uh, text that have come through as well this morning on a number of uh, issues. Uh, Billy, I sense in your tone of voice that you, like me, have a horrible feeling about the cricket. Our bowlers are tired, Jamison out, and the pitch is still a belter. We cannot expect Bracewell to spin them out. Mitchell is not an international standard bowler. 280, for, uh, 280 of 70 overs at four and over will be a breeze for the Poms. That's Billy's prognosis going into the last day at Trent Bridge tomorrow or tonight our time. Tend to agree with you. They'll get confidence out of that last run, Chase. No doubt about that, Billy. Uh, Smithy, we're just looking through the fields for Ascot. Jay Mack is riding another horse in race six. Interestingly, it is trained by Sir Mark Todd. You're absolutely dead right there. Uh, the horse is called Tasman Bay, and I think it's racing in the Pencaro colours. Maybe Sir Peter Vellas. I'm not 100% sure on that. But anyway, uh, there you go on that, uh, that news. Uh, Foster is starting to sound like Cameron George, and you know that uh, how that lot is going. That's Brian's thought from out of Christchurch. Uh, Troy said, I'm feeling a bit robbed. Money on Oz to beat Peru, which they did, but won't give you the money if it's a penalty shootout. The game resulted in a winner. So, yes, looks and Troy. I've had that a number of times myself when putting bets on. The fact of the matter, and I've rung up about it, and they've just told me they said when there's a 90-minute option and there is a draw involved, it has to, we have to pay out on the 90-minute option. Sometimes they pre, uh, provide another option like um, Australia to proceed to the World Cup, Australia to make the World Cup. That's the option that um, you, you're probably talking about as well. They did win the game on, on penalties, but after 90 minutes, because there was a draw option, you don't get paid out on the win. And Troy, if it's the first time it's hit you between the eyes, if, uh, I can appreciate it because it hit me between the eyes with a relatively sizable bet and I was most hacked off, but couldn't do a damn thing about it. Uh, I message here from Dave, always on holiday builders. It's a, a funny name to way to sign yourself. Dave, always on holiday builders. Uh, hey, Smithy, wasn't it great to see the Bulldogs return to form last night and absolutely smoke Rowdy's eels? Rowdy's eels. So Rowdy and Dave, uh, two personalities uh, from down here in Havelock North. Both have uh, great support for their rugby league teams. They wear their jerseys from time to time. 
Um, Dave's a fairly sort of silent uh, type assassin. Rowdy, his uh, real name is Paul, um, but you can tell how silent he is with a nickname of Rowdy. So anyway, his eels uh, got pummeled last night, absolutely pummeled last night. So I'm looking forward to going to the boozer at some stage this week and seeing Rowdy say nothing. That would be great. It is 11.30 here uh, on SENZ. Uh, lots of other texts, including, I just want to applaud Aroha on her name pronunciation. She is elite. She's not listening to me now, Vaughan, but she will appreciate your text when she reads it in due course. Um, we're going to go to Ottawa now as uh, she prepares for the news. And when we come back, we've got, uh, being Tuesday, we have a Mount Rushmore. Logan and I have gone for a, a topical subject today, our favourite and greatest ever all-whites. Favourite, greatest ever all-whites, coming up in around about 10 minutes' time. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. And it's been such a busy Tuesday here on SCNZ Warriors. Really, actually forgot to pump up stumps, but it doesn't matter, Smithy, because we have very dedicated, awesome listeners to the show, and the lines are lighting up. We've got people ready to go to take us on. Up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet, plus some sleep drops daytime revive. Try New Zealand sleep drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read their label and take as directed, and check out sleepdrops.co.nz. Smithy first at the crease today. Uh, joining us is Simon from Hamilton. Yeah, there, Simon. Morning, lads. Yeah, morning, Simon. Um, okay, so I'm um, just looking at the pitch there in Hamilton. Generally speaking, uh, it's hard to run to read. Actually, KJ makes some interesting surfaces down there. So you're going to bat first today. So I wish you all uh, all the very best, and uh, let's uh, see what. Those subjects are producer Logan Swinkles. What have you lined up today? Today's topics are basketball, soccer, football, and golf. Take your pick. Oh, I'm going to go for uh, golf. All right. Good luck. Of course, we just had Bruce Young on the show talking about LIV versus PGA, so make sure you check that out uh, wherever you get your podcasts if you missed it. First question for you, Simon. Lydia Ko finished the LPGA Classic tied for fourth place. What was her final score for that tournament? Uh, nine Ooh. under. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field good guess smithy right okay she missed out by two shots she's either finished eight under or ten under so you're i think you're smack in the middle of of either of my two options here it's just a question of which one i go for here simon um i'm pretty sure she started the day three shots behind finished two behind the winner either finished 12 or 14 under i'm going to take the lower side and say she finished eight under one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Great, great pick, Smithy. <laughs> uh, the correct answer was 10 under. Canada's Brock Henderson finished uh, with 12 under. So, Simon, you're still alive. Question number two. Dustin Johnson played in the Saudi-backed LIV Golf Series inaugural event over the weekend, but he last won a golf major in 2020. Which one was it? Uh, um, I'm going to say he won the USPGA. 
one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, over to you. Well, I know he's won a, a more than one major, and I can I can distinctly recall him putting on the green jacket and uh, Tom's cabin, I think it's called, or whatever it's uh, one of those cabins anyway. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that he's won the Masters. I'm going to say he won the Masters that year. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in Ooh. the slot, and away it goes. Unlucky Simon from Hamilton. Yes, correct answer is the Masters with a five-stroke margin of victory. That's one stomping. Smithy next in line at the crease. Craig from Tauranga. Come in, Craig. G'day, how you doing? Good, Craig. Good, Craig. Uh, I know your form's not too bad at this, but you've only... This is like the uh, Dark Destroyer says on the chase. It's a one-question shootout for the whole Bickies, mate. So I wish you all the best. How's your golf? How is your golf? Yeah, not good. It wouldn't have been my choice. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Okay, here we go. Like we say, one question could win it all. $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs and the Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. The Men's US Open is the next golf major. In what year did Bryson DeChambeau win it? Oh, jeez. Um, I haven't got a clue, so it's a pure guess. I'll go with 2013. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not 2013. I reckon he was the defending champion last year, which means he won it in 2020. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yes, well done indeed. The answer was 2020. Uh, so we jackpot tomorrow. $100. Oh, that feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, 100 bucks up for grabs. Thanks to Craig for taking part. And Simon from Hamilton, thank you very much for taking the time to ring up. But yeah, have a crack tomorrow when it's uh, double value, 100 bucks. And uh, sleep drops, of course, will be up for grabs as well. It is 11.38 here on SENZ. When we come back, you'll hear the dulcet tones, the instrumental tones of Jimi Hendrix. Mount Rushmore time. By side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Eleven forty-three here on SENZ, and yes, that's Jimi Hendrix, and this is Mount Rushmore. Our subject today is uh, all whites. Uh, it has to be, doesn't it? Twenty-four hours out from that uh, particular match against Costa Rica, uh, which we cannot stop thinking about. Right, all of a sudden, uh, four. So uh, Logan Swinkles and I have picked our four each, and Logan, you go first. Thanks, Smithy. Uh, I mean, there's a great topic with this. Is it will, like you said, every four years we get really excited about this. A uh, bit of diversity, I think, in our Mount Rushmore, which is quite interesting. But first up, I have to go. I, I don't have audio here, unfortunately, but uh, Ivan Visalich, most capped player in New Zealand history with 88. A internationals, and you no doubt he played way more than that, in a career that spanned 18 years from 1995 to 2013. Just the longevity of the man alone, I think, is highly impressive, Smithy. Well, I've gone a goalkeeper, a defender, uh, a midfield player and a striker in my top four, so I've gone to the custodian first, and that for me is Frank Van Haddam. Uh, Frank Van Haddam started in that uh, campaign for the 1982 uh, World Cup finals as the understudy to Richard Wilson uh, out of Christchurch. Uh, he worked his way through, got an opportunity and didn't relinquish it. 
Um, and to the point that he had such a, a fine campaign, he stayed a custodian for a long period of time. Uh, and then he was rated second behind Mark Bosnich as Oceania, Oceania goalkeeper of the century by the time his career had finished. So Frank Van Haddam for me, who then uh, went on to have uh, an illustrious career in football administration, quite an easy pick. Yeah, I, I backed it. I mean, Mark Bosnich was amazing. So the fact that uh, Van Haddam is up there as well just really shows how amazing he was. Uh, my second one for Mount Rushmore, I, I, iconic all-white, Ryan Nelson. Aaron Lyons has put some weight on it. Oh, You hear just how much that goal meant, Smithy. That was from the 2002 OFC Nations Cup. Yes, he was the hero in that game, winning 1-0 over rivals Australia in the final. Interesting that, yeah. Uh, Ryan Nelson, for me, was an obvious pick as well. Named uh, after the uh, July in July 10, named by ESPN, after the World Cup that was in South Africa, as in the World Cup best 11 players. Uh, of course, New Zealand uh, went through that tournament and uh, left unbeaten. Ryan Nelson was very much the general of that. One all with Slovakia, nil all with Paraguay, one all with Italy. Uh, illustrious careers with Blackburn, Tottenham and QPR as well, as well as in the, uh, the Major League uh, in America as a coach as well for Toronto. So undoubtedly for me, Ryan Nelson. Uh, and then, yeah, just give us your second next pick, Smithy. I'd love to hear it. Okay, next uh, second pick is uh, one of my favourites of all time. New Zealand footballers gave his guts for New Zealand over a long period of time. 105 appearances in all, 58 A internationals. FIFA Order of Merit along with Johan Cruyff. He got that at the same time as Johan Cruyff, the wonderful world-class Dutch footballer. Uh, He's in the New Zealand Football Hall of Fame. Scored a goal in the 1982 World Cup against uh, Scotland. Sadly, no longer with us, Steve Sumner. Now here's uh, Wooden, robbed, picked up by Sumner. Sumner with a shot, and it's in the net! Oh, brilliantly hit by Sumner. In the 41st minute, Sumner has six, it's 13-0. Well, I don't know whether we've uh, broken world records here, because I can't off the top of my head recall anyone scoring six goals in an international match. Yeah, six goals against. It certainly was uh, part of it, Um, and that was against Fiji, as you say, so... Steve Sumner, never forgotten. No, absolutely. Uh, my number two, and I don't know if we really put this in order, it's Smithy, just, you know, they're all great names when you think of the all-whites, so it's, it's really in no particular order, but second to last for me is uh, another icon, and, and he's still playing, so just imagine what we think of him when his career is over, Chris Wood. Pain. Payne delivers, Wood waits, Wood scores! Oh, that is stunning from Chris Wood. Tim Payne with the vision. How about the strength and the poise from the big man? 4-2. But this one was a spectacular finish again. I mean, the first one, his first goal in the, the first 45 was, was a fantastic individual effort. And so to this one, Chris Wood. Two goals for the big striker. Chris Wood loves to score goals. That was against Japan. 
Uh, he has 67 caps to his name for New Zealand, uh, starting in 2009. He is also New Zealand's all-time leading goal scorer with 33, with a ratio of 0.49 per game, Smithy. So who knows how many goals he has to his name when it's all done and dusted. Scores one tomorrow, mate. I'll go and um, give him a big hug, I'll tell you that. So uh, if he scores the one that wins us and gets us through against Costa Rica, rises above the defence and knocks home a set-piece free kick, that will be Chris Wood. Uh, and I think we've uh, both got uh, the same guy. Uh, we had to have the same guy. Um, in terms of uh, number one player for New Zealand, uh, this fellow is a decorated man, CNZM, Rongatai College student, played for FC Zurich and Werder, Werder Bremen, played a lot of games for both those uh, particular clubs in Europe. Oceania Footballer of the Century. Get that. Oceania Footballer of the Century. And he had uh, 22 full caps and 12 goals because a lot of the time his club, it was that valuable to his clubs, they simply wouldn't release him to play for New Zealand. Here he is scoring a goal in the World Cup qualifier against China back in 82. Werner on for Rufa. Rufa with a chance and that's a great goal. A flick on by... Grant Turner and Rufa latched onto it like a leech and blasted it into the top left-hand corner. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.